Welcome back to the Pursuing Truth podcast. I am your host, Levi Brickley, and this is part three of a four-part short series on the Real Talk radio show with my brother, Rusty Pickens, in Southern Indiana. The first two parts were all about his story to success, some of the challenges that he had to overcome, whether within the workplace or with his family, and developing into the man that he is today. In this episode, Rusty and I really get to dig into some of the reasons and the meaning why the workforce is hurting and struggling so bad for good employees. Whether it's talking about victimization, participation trophies, and the result of culture and and how it's impacted us, that's where we get to dig into this conversation. If you guys are tuning in from a link on Instagram, please shoot me a message on the Pursuing Truth Instagram page. Let me know that that's where you're tuning in, what you thought, because I always appreciate feedback. And also, if you want to throw in some pointers of some direction that I can take that maybe will assist you in your personal life, because the podcast is all about you as a listener and maybe finding meaning and reason in your life and through having these real authentic conversations maybe we're able to find some solutions in modern day culture please leave a rating on spotify a rating and review on apple podcast subscribe to our youtube channel as well and you guys enjoy this episode who knows we might feel unsatisfied and do three (laughs) i don't know What, what did you think about the last one did you enjoy it Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, I got carried away. <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually, um, I found it a little fascinating because, you know, I don't hear too much of all that stuff, you know, yeah. like kind of like we went inside, we kind of just give like a little brief overview to mom and, um, you know, we, we talked about how we don't, we don't dig into those things no. a whole lot and getting behind the microphone kind of just forces you into, into doing that. So for the listeners, those of you that um, missed out on the last episode, make sure you do it. I'm not sure um, the amount of time that these two will be separated. Of course, we're we're recording them the same day. Um, I said at the beginning of the last episode that I had two cameras set up. Well, you know, I look, guys, I got to admit something. I got I got ADD (laughs) like really bad. And um, like I, I, I tend to hide things from myself. Um, and, and what I happened to do this time, uh, which is, you know, it's just so normal for me. Um, I, I, I have Ed's motorcycle still sitting in my garage, right? A year ago, I, uh, I went to Florida and I was like, man, um, I don't want anybody to break into my house and, and take my keys. So I'm going to hide my keys somewhere. <laughs> I haven't drove that motorcycle since. And I spent oh, that's $2,600 on the motorcycle. And I lost the keys, and I can't even start it up now. Well, I did the same thing with the SD card. I, I, I put it somewhere where I thought I wouldn't lose it, and then here we are. I lost camera footage to uh, one of them. Um, yeah, just, you know, this, the, the daily struggles of, of somebody with ADD. You know, it is what it is. But um, for those of you that missed out on, on the last episode, uh, Rusty gave his, his story um, just truly an American success story is really what it is. Uh, it kind of maybe sounds a little cliche saying that, but it's weird. Yeah, but you are. I mean, guy that doesn't have a, a formal education, a guy that starts basically as a car salesman and gets into a work temp agency at the right time, um, takes chances, takes advantage of the opportunities that's presented to him. And become successful. I think um, for anybody that listens to that story, there's a lot that you can take away from that. Um, so now we're going to get into a little bit, I, I guess you could say a, a political stance or I don't know. It's not so much a political stance. It is, it's just a, a general philosophy of, you know, where a culture is going in regards to the workforce um, as a heart of a worker as you are and as many guys as I see my age that aren't doing anything with their life, you know, hopefully this conversation, you know, probably brings light to some of the things that, that we've seen. So you're in the hiring process now. Yeah. You, 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 you get a guy. Um, what's, what's some of the biggest challenges that you face? Um, 
I know that's a pretty vague question. Yeah, it's tough because it's um, also depends on the role I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, if I'm just looking for an entry-level worker, um, you know, in my environment, understanding tape measure is important to me. Can you read yeah. a tape measure? And it's sad, really. How many people can't read a tape measure? And yet, you know, a lot of times in these interviews, I walk guys through, I say guys and girls, through how they do it every day. They just don't know it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because all it is is fractions. Yeah. And, I mean, we deal with fractions all day long. We just don't know it. Yeah, they just haven't applied it to a tape yeah, measure yet. right. And so I'll walk them through some scenarios, you know, when I say, all right, what's half a dollar? Yeah. 50 cents. Oh, you can tell me that, right? Right. What's half an inch? Mm-hmm. Right? It's 0.5 in a decimal. Right. You know, and then when they just start correlating that, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can figure this out. Right. And, you know, it kind of goes back to um, – empowering those people mm-hmm. that you're capable of doing more. Now mm-hmm. the question is, are you willing to put the effort for it? Yeah. And that's where the filtering process begins. Right. You know, it, all interviews, there's so much cliches being said in them. Cause right. the reality is people are there cause they want a job. Yeah. But why are they there in the first place? That's what I'm digging into. Mm-hmm. Right. Do they want to be a part of your company? Yeah. I mean, do they even know what I do? Yeah. What do they do in the company? I mean, I don't know how many interviews I've said in. Do you know what we do? Uh, no. So how do you know you want to work here? I don't. I mean, and that that right there tells me a lot about our culture is we're just looking for something to do. We're not looking for a career. Yeah. If somebody comes to me and says, yeah, I know what you do. Sounds a little interesting. I don't know enough about it, but I read up on you. Or I've had these. Uh, type of scenarios in an interview. Yeah, I, I found out you guys dealing with paper. Well, yeah, but, you know, me being in it for as long as I did, that has many different avenues. Right. Right. So it's like going to yeah. an oil business and saying, yeah, you make oil. Yeah. Well, what kind of oil? Yes, you exactly. Know? Yeah. And, uh, and I don't expect them to know that. The fact that they put forth the effort to learn what they're applying for tells me something. Right. And, you know, I don't even have to. You know, everybody has personal life issues that come up. And so filtering that is tough Mm. because you could look at the last two years of somebody's life and it could be good, but the previous 10 years prior to that were a train wreck. Yeah. And I've ran into countless people that have turned their lives around. Mm. And if you went by that whole time period, you wouldn't give them a shot. But... The fact that they are, I mean, I've got a guy right now working for me who's had a rough life, just needed an opportunity, and uh, he's taking advantage of it. That's awesome. Yeah, you know those. You know are- that's what I that's what I think is is so good uh, about getting into working and being driven to to succeed at something is that it really opens up the door to um, change your life. Yep, and. A lot of people, they they look at the job as, you know, it's just a paycheck. It's just a paycheck. But the reality is, is like, this is your life. You know, this uh-huh. is, this is, it may not be like everything that your life is about, but your job is what's going to sustain what your life yes. is about. Yep. You know, and, and we saw that with your, your story about, um, you know, raising the kids and, and wife and, and family and how that how, how that all kind of played out, and I think kind of what fascinates me is, especially with in my age group, is that oftentimes people that are twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, why don't they have an idea? At a general sense, why don't they have an idea of what they want? And then once they've decided what they want in life, why don't they go out and at least experiment? But at least with a little bit of drive. To say, yep. go in to an interview and say, I know that the company does X, Y, and Z, and I believe I would be a very good candidate for this position because of X, Y, and Z. Why don't people apply their minds to that level when they come into the interview? Do you think it's kind of like upbringing? Do you think it's just kind of school, perspective, uh, drug? A- what, what is it? It's not one thing. Yeah. I think culturally 
we live in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that YOLO. <laughs> yes. This is so I mean, that's the reality is we, we live in a culture where we're living in the next two moments. Yeah. And then that's done and gone. We're in the next one. And because of that, um, it's almost, it goes back to the old Nirvana. Uh, here we are now, entertain us, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not here to be entertained. Yeah. That's not our purpose. Mm-hmm. That's not what God designed us for. Mm-hmm. But we have a culture that wants to be entertained. We talked about it, you know, in the church. Yeah. Right? And it plays into the job world because, you know, even with COVID, it's really changed. It's starting, I think, really taper off, but it changed, you know, how the workforce went after employees because we were all desperate to find people. And it's just bizarre that nobody was out there. We were all fighting over getting the next person, stealing them from other companies. And, you know, it, it changed the way we went about hiring. I mean, you look at, you know, during the tail end of COVID and this mm-hmm. big surge of bringing people in, how many companies prior to that never had a sign-on bonus to now they do? Look at the fast food chains. How many of them? <laughs> yeah, like, what is a we'll, fast we'll food chain? We'll give you five hundred dollars for bus. making it two weeks. Yes, <laughs> yes, two weeks. I mean, I, I drove by a fast food place uh, here locally that was paying daily. Yeah, a daily paycheck. And if you know anything about payroll, that's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine how that would go. But why would you have that as a selling point? Because of a Man, culture that lives in the moment. Yeah, really. Wow. Every day? Yeah. I, that did, that that literally took my ADD mind 15 seconds to register that. Because yeah. I just can't. I can't imagine getting but, paid every yeah. single day. Like, here, here's $50. I mean, it's like kind of like a getting paid under the table but, type you, job. And that's, that's the other, weird. That's the other thing you got to think about. All right. What employees do you expect to get if you're paying daily? Right. You're going to get the, the YOLO crowd. Yeah. The people that... Here's the thing, like you, you get these people that come into the workforce and they, again, think they're like, this is a nice idea. You know, this pays a little bit more than my burger flipping job. So yeah, I, I want the job, but they don't have any desire to grow with the company. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, manufacturing especially, you know, maybe there's different, you know, I know that you work for a family oriented, family owned company. So there may be like some, some cap to, to where they want to go and the potential they want to be at. Maybe they, they, they get to a certain point and that's where they decide just kind of plateau at. But a lot of businesses and especially entrepreneurs want to go out and be the best on the freaking market. Yep. And so, like somebody that comes in and they're just like, well, willy nilly about it. This is whatever. Why would I, as an employer, want to hire you doing that with that mentality? That, that here I, and now, I don't know. know maybe it's, it's, maybe it's an instant gratification. I will say you, there are value in those employees. I'm not yeah. going to take that away because you have those people that consistently come in there and just want to do their job. Yeah. There's value in those guys. And I don't want to take that away, but we're in a culture where we're desperate for leaders. Mm-hmm. Leadership yeah. is a lost art. Yeah. It really is. And, I I mean, I had a scenario with an employee um, doing a review, right? And in that review, he's not happy with the um, pay rate change I gave him after the review. He thought he earned more. And, uh, you know, through the conversation – what people disconnect with is you're not getting paid for what you're going to do. You're getting paid for what you're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. What you're going after is what you're wanting. Right. That's mm-hmm. what you're working for. And I, I learned this early on and I think it's what's helped me is I'm not working for the job I have. I'm working for the job I want. Mm-hmm. And it, when you approach it like that, um, if, if you, if the job you want is what you're doing, do it. Right. But if, if it's not enough for you, challenge yourself. What do you need to do? Yeah. How, I mean, when I was a, an assistant on the machine, I wanted to be the operator. So what did I need to do? I need to learn how to operate. Right. I still need to do my job. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank goodness, um, 
I had enough people around me to let me learn. Right. But there's also times where I just had to observe. Mm-hmm. So you have to sharpen your uh, learning skill set. You know, you can't learn one way. Yeah. So that that's tough. And I think what happens a lot of times with people um, when they look at, you know, even in my role, you know, when they look at an entry level to where I'm at, you know, running a plant, running a sales force. And I think, man, I, I'll never get there. Well, you know, if you if you go from here to here, this giant leap, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But you got to break it down in chunks. Well, and, you know, like you said, you kind of thought, you know, I'll, I'll never yeah. get there. Um, and what, what was fascinating about your story is it was just the chipping away little by little and the challenges that were presented with it, not even just at work, but also in home, personal life and um yeah people you know i'll be you know i i I gotta be honest here i've been in law enforcement for five years and uh well next may will be five years and i have no direction of where i want to go and i think that there's a lot of people like me um in the workforce that are like that i show up to work Mm -hmm. i do my job I do a good job. I do the best to my ability. But I will say this. I don't overextend myself either. Because I don't know where I want to go. Um, I think and, that's and the that, majority of people right there. And that is a conversation I've had with my boss. So, that I mean, I, I'm completely comfortable having that conversation. I've, I've told him straight that I don't know where I want to go in law enforcement. And I think that... Maybe there's like a little bit inside of me, the immaturity or the the inner, I feel like I can do more. I want to do more than this. And so, you know, establishing the platform and, and doing other things though. Like, it's not just like, that's my job. Like I'm doing other things as well on top of it. And ultimately, I mean, I will say like, I don't, I don't foresee myself 10 years from now uh, in Law enforcement, I foresee myself doing something totally different. I just don't know what it is yet. Well, I think the last 20, 30 years, maybe even further, um, our education system and even our, how do I say this, the psychological side of our culture has um, changed um, people's approach to work. Mm Mm-hmm. In the sense of, you know, how long, how many, how long have you heard, do what you love? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, don't make that your job. Right. you're going to hate what you love. Yeah, exactly. But people translated that for the longest time that I don't love doing this, so I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I did not come into the box industry because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who, who's like, I want to make a yeah. box today. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. But what I do love about it is every day is a new challenge. Mm-hmm. I don't look at the finished product as what I did all day. Right. I looked at what are all the problems that I overcame? Because that's really where you feel that achievement. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I made a box at the end of the day, uh, what problems did I overcome that I challenged myself with? And I, I think I can really resonate with that because, you know, you did artwork. Mm-hmm. I did artwork and there's that drive in between of like, I don't know what the finished product is going to be like, but whatever it turns out being, this is what I'm left with. And it was almost like the adventure in between getting it there. And I think, you know, I, that's what I love about entrepreneurship. And I think too, a lot of young people, and I put myself here, obviously. A lot of young people don't want to show up to the workforce because they think that they can do it on their own, absent of having to work the nine to five. Yeah. And I think what it leads to, being the guy that still shows up to work and still does my job, that still effectively communicates to my bosses where I'm at mentally, emotionally, and where I see myself in the future is the reason why I'm having this conversation. But so many people 
in my age group that have that philosophy of entrepreneurship. Like, I'm not going to show up to that nine to five job because I believe that I can make $250,000 in a, in a 2k tournament. I think that I can, um, go do live streaming all day playing video games. Now at its essence, is there anything wrong with video gaming? Not necessarily, but what's wrong with it is when it becomes your, your lifestyle to where you think as a 25, 26 year old man who hasn't established a platform to really kind of do that. You haven't like went out and bought the computer. You like, you just haven't even invested into it. And you're thinking I'm going to get there if I just believe it. And well, that, that brings me to another kind of topic about, um, law of attraction, but (laughs) I, I, I can't, um, it bothers me because I, I bust my tail. You know, for everything I have, I bust my tail. Why you do it? I do it because I believe that I'm more than just sitting at home playing a, a video game or... So when do you define that value? Mm. I think... Like, you mean like, like the work ethic? Yeah. When do you say, you know, what I did today achieved what I wanted? You know, do you um, ever feel that way? At my current job? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if we look it's, at, it's rare. If here's we look what at I would it say. From a world's perspective, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a box maker. Yeah. You're a police officer. Which mm-hmm. one's more virtuous? Obviously, being a police officer. Yes. But well, you, how do you feel? But, but yeah, well, in, but in, why do I feel this way over you? Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I think too, um, Law enforcement, uh, working for a small agent agency especially, uh, has its very dry moments. Um, does that mean that I would be completely satisfied running and gunning? I don't think so. I would like that either. I think I'd get burned out. And I think that, you know, there's days where I'm like, oh, that was so stinking awesome. You know, I figured that out. I solved this. I chased this. I chased that. And, you know, it is that adventure of like... Yep. You never know what's going to come. But for me, it's like you're dealing with a collapsing culture. And in its collapse, I'm in a political representation position mm-hmm. where I have no impact outside of being in this uniform because to some regards... I'm constrained by what I'm allowed to talk about, constrained by by my schedule and consistency. It's really hard for me to to get out of that. And then so for me to really feel like, like I achieved something is to create. And I think like that's where like this whole thing all of this comes from obviously. Well, now you're doing what you love. Yeah. And the here's the thing. I haven't made a single dime off of this. Yeah. But it's almost like it's it's my um of course I don't have kids either. Yeah. So so here's so here's the other dom- dynamic, right? Yep. Um not having kids allows me the freedom to do that. Yeah. Uh I I, I do kind of wish I did have kids or, or whatever, but it really does allow me the freedom to do this. Um, and hopefully, you know, the idea is that there's a potential that it could eventually financially support me. But here's the thing I'm not going to do. And I'm not going to go quit my job or put myself in a position where I'm going to end up losing my job because I believe in this thing so much. Yeah, but you have a different mindset. Not yeah. everybody carries that mindset. Yeah. The, I think this is where things fall apart. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you know when I look at somebody who wants a promotion, right, and I ask the question every time, "Why do you want this?" And I will say the majority of people want a promotion because they want to get paid more. Yeah, that's not a driver. I don't want that because yeah. if that's your drive, it's only a temporary fix. Mm-hmm. It's alcohol, right? It's only yeah. a Make you feel good for a little bit. Then right. you're going to feel like, I need to earn more in this. This is hard. Yeah. That's inevitable. 
Mm-hmm. So this is where me, as a Christian man, ask myself, why am I working? Why am I doing this daily? Some days are terrible. Some days mm-hmm. are torturous. Why am I doing it? Just like we talked about in the last episode, you know, with love. Love is just a, a decision to make to do the right thing, mm-hmm. whether you feel like it or not. Right. And my work is not based on how I feel. Mm-hmm. My work is based on why am I doing it? Because when I work, I work as if I'm working for the Lord. Right. And we have a culture where if you have no Lord like that, right? Yeah. that is yeah. that permanent fixture, what are you working towards? Everything's temporary. Yeah. And when it doesn't feel good, you're on to the next thing. Yeah. So you you got this constant movement of your feelings. Yeah. And that's how it dictates your life. Feelings are going to lead you wrong. Not always. And I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of people in my profession get caught up in the ego that it presents. Mm, yeah. You know, obviously, you well, know, I have a lot it, of authority. I have a lot of freedom. I have this. Look I, at the last two years and the, the view of cops. Yeah. Right? Because there are some bad cops that their egos got a hold of it. Yeah. And they thought they are above it. Yeah. And it's sad because now they gave this name to all cops. Yeah. And now the culture fills it. Yeah. And so I commend those cops that are still sticking through this. Right. Because it's tough. Yeah. But what I challenge is because it, it is tough. Yeah. I mean, there, there was times where it's probably great to be a cop because life was easy. Yeah. People respected you without you having to try and earn it every day. Right. But you're in a culture now where that's flipped on you. And this goes back to you're going to fall into the emotions of it mm-hmm. and battle out of it. Yeah. Or the ones that are really going to make a difference are saying, no, I'm not that cop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I yeah, am yeah. not that person and I am not working for that. I'm working for the Lord, and that's see, what I'm and and that 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 right there, um, that is that is the part that I love is that I'm a very community oriented police officer. I really take the time to engage with people and just have a general, normal conversation. Like even the dating world is like this, but the humanity of my profession is utterly stripped away from me. And for me to be able to, as an officer, build a relationship with somebody and they see me as a person, not as this Kevlar vest with a gun on my hip, yeah, that they see me as a person, then that says to them the next officer that they come in contact with, that officer is a person too. And that's the number one thing I love about the job. I also love the other aspect of holding somebody accountable that's beating their wife. Okay. I love taking somebody into custody. You're a justice driven person. I am a very justice driven (laughs) person. Um, Sometimes very vulgar about my justice view of justice, but, but, but seriously, I, I, yeah. And, and so then, you know, here on this, it's, it's again, that, um, way for me to release uh, some of the tension that is caused from my job and reapply some of the negative things that, that I see and reapply them positively uh-huh. into the world by having genuine conversations that somebody's listening and they're like, hmm, I never thought of it that way. But I know this. I've seen some horrendous things, extremely horrendous things that, Unfortunately, I mean, I, I oh, well, fortunately, I can't talk about it, and you don't want to hear about it because yeah. it's that bad. Um, and I had to deal with myself internally on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I if you I don't have think a good of, foundation, I, good luck. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and so like I was in this like you know probably four or five months spurt of of like serious depression, you know, after my last breakup. And it was really, really, really hard for me. And then I, I, I get to December of, of 21. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom with these calls. And I mean, the, the worst calls in five years I've ever been on. 
happened within five weeks of each other. Mm. And so then I found myself, how does, I wish I could give details to, because I'm just such a, a storyteller. But how does somebody deal with this? How do I deal with this? What's my perspective of it? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll give one example um, without giving details. There was this uh, this guy that from this call, he resulted being in, in, in the hospital. And I remember how respectful he was to me, how respectful he was to the nurses. And after this incident, we had a what's called a critical incident debrief where we, we get around and we talk about our feelings and <laughs> sing Kumbaya all together and pass stick around. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I, I remember um, my takeaway from that was here is a person that God created just the same way he mm-hmm. created this person, Absolutely. you know? And um, the, the humanity that that brought out in me uh to see that person as just like me even though he was on the opposite end of the law as me yeah and um so often we 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 look at people in these in these boxes and we we categorize people and we don't look at them with with the mercy and grace that that God has for us and our sins, and in these three calls, bang, 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 then like I realized I need to take a break, and so I decide, you know, I'm going to go out in the country by myself, read this book called "Ego Is the Enemy" by Ryan Holiday, and I just remember like I, I took that time to to pray and just like. God, tell me, tell me what you want me to do. I'm yours. Like, I, I can't live for myself no more in this because everything right now in my situation was all of my depression. Everything was because I believed that if I'm just this like stand up dude, if I'm just this like really good hard worker coming into the workforce and doing all of these great things and being flashy in all of my ego. I'll get the woman that I want. That I will create the type of relationship that I want. And I subjected that to God. I gave it to him that day, you know. And um, then I went viral. One week later, my podcast started taking off. And then now it's been, you know, obviously 10 months. And there's been some growing spurts here and there. But that... Those things, you know, um, brings me on here a sense of joy because now I'm able to get behind the microphone and, you know, impact people and like, look at, I'm obviously, if you got, you guys, okay, I've never said it on the podcast before. I am obviously a conservative. I'm not going to say who I vote for, but I am obviously- Huh? You haven't hid that very well. Yeah. Well, no. But I've never, I've never directly said it. It's true. Um. But I'm obviously a conservative, and um. I'll tell you a funny story. I'm not. Uh, one more thing. I just don't want people to look at oh because he's a conservative or because she's a Democrat or he's a Democrat that we can't work together and have conversations to deal with the issues that we have in culture to find solutions. So, you know, in Pennsylvania, um, mm-hmm. it, it's a very diverse culture where we lived. You know, right. there's a lot of different people. So we were surrounded by a lot of different um, perspectives on politics. Yeah. Right? And i give you an example. You know, as a conservative, um, I am. But as a conservative, a lot of times we, we um, vote on us taking care of ourselves, not taking care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, if yeah. you look at the conservative platform, that's what happens. And that's where 
you know, as a culture, we're steered away from that mindset now because we feel like we should take care of everybody. Um, so the question is, is it the government's job? Yeah. And that's where the dividing line happens, right? Do I yeah. feel like we should take care of people? Yes, but I don't think the government should tell me to. Yeah. That's why I have the church. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the dividing line. But we don't, until you sit down and talk with people on that side of the fence, saying the government should help us, um, and understanding it's not asking for handouts necessarily. That's yeah. not their approach to it. Right. Their approach is to it. It's a systematic way to take care of our welfare. Yeah. And it, the intentions are great. Mm-hmm. Right. And it goes back to that old adage, um, which I tell a lot of the people that a lot of my supervisors that work for me, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but others by their actions. Yeah. And, you know, because of that, we, we get it wrong. And that's so true. Yeah. We get a lot wrong a lot of times, but until we understand their intentions and then walk them through that, mm-hmm. we learn a lot of things. Right. And then we also learn how to understand each other. And then if you want to start heading the same direction, it's a whole lot easier. Right. But we, we're in a culture right now. We're so divided. But I think ultimately we all want the same thing. We want the, the poor taken care of. Yeah. We, we don't want homelessness. Yeah. We don't want, um, you know, I don't want the black community to feel uh, neglected. Yeah. I don't want them to feel shunned. Absolutely, right. Uh, that's not what we want. Right. It's the, the perspective on how we're going about doing it. Well, who has responsibility? Me as an individual. Right. Right. Well, I am not the, well, asking the government well, to do what I should do myself. Well, 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 and that right there, that 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 right there is is the defining difference, yeah. in my opinion, is is the individual responsibility or the collective responsibility. Yeah. And I've and, always been a believer. I even, I manage this way. Yeah. If not one person is responsible, nobody's responsible. Mm-hmm. When you do a community responsibility, it takes responsibility away Absolutely. from the individual. Absolutely. Because then, oh, he'll take care of it. I don't have to. Because, you know, we all do it, right? Yeah. No, that's not how that happens. By nature, we're going to perform to the minimal expectations. Right. Yeah. And when you have yeah. a community expectations, by nature, the majority of us are going to do the bare minimum. Right, right, right. So that's where I feel like that's a me issue. If If I'm a bigot, that's a me issue. That's not a cultural issue. Right, right, exactly. You know, a lot of things play into why you would be that way. Not that yeah. I'm a bigot, but there's a lot of things in your life that would cause you to be that way. But if you don't ever come to terms with, this is wrong, mm-hmm. you got consequences to it. Right. But it's not a cultural issue. Right. It's an individual issue that has a heart problem. Mm-hmm. And we lose sight of changing people's hearts. Instead, we're forcing Changing people's actions. Yeah. It's not changing their hearts. I.e. paying taxes. You have yeah. to pay tax. Yeah. You have to pay higher taxes because we want this type of welfare or. You know, what's funny is we left, you know, United States left England because mm-hmm. we were paying taxes. Now it was going to the wealthy mm-hmm. and it, it, the people, the poor people are suffering more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just interesting. In many ways, we become that. I mean, our, our, our poor, yes, they have, they are probably better off than back then. By all means, they're better off than back then, mm-hmm. right? Because the welfare state has taken care of people, but almost to a point where we're enabling it, right? Not that all welfare people are wanting to stay where they're at. I don't want to present that. I mean, look at mom, right? Right. I mean, but... I mean, we, obviously, you know, I've talked about it. We were raised in that environment. Yeah, yep. Um, well, it just goes back to the conversation last time. You know, it blows my mind that I'm able to be doing what I'm doing, get paid what I'm getting paid. I never right. thought that would happen in my life. Yeah. I, I I don't, I remember, you know, being a preschool teacher thinking, you know, making 40 grand a year is nuts. Mm-hmm. I can't wrap my head around that. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays you're like, what? Yeah. How do you live? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, at, at that time, I'm like, I don't, I'll be happy that day I can do that. Mm. Right? It, I was. 
I was happy that day I did it. I, I felt like I accomplished something. Did I stop there? No. Um, but I think what happens many times is, you know, in this culture, again, we look too many steps ahead of that. Yeah, yeah. Right? And a lot of times it goes back to that victim mentality. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was going to take I it. I hate the state I'm in. Mm-hmm. And you, you just focus on what's holding you down mm-hmm. instead of what you can do to bring yourself out of it. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's the American side of this that we all miss mm-hmm. is that individual effort that accomplishes and the the that individuality is what has brought us so many great things absolutely i mean look at talking about the ford behind us the mustang look at henry ford yeah you know he was going to go out and do something individually that had never been done before which was to create the assembly line yeah to mass produce the model t and then here we are 70 years later with with a stinking Mustang behind us, it's all all tore apart, of course. But but that that right there is is the American essence yep. of of who we are and what we used to take pride in as as a country. I think what happened though, where the I guess the defeatedness comes mm. out is everybody wanted to be the Henry Ford. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, again, we lose sight of what was it that Henry Ford was successful in. Yeah. Was it the amount of money he made or was it what he accomplished? Yeah. I mean, he didn't reap all the benefits from all manufacturing that did the assembly line process. Yeah. He just reaped it from his own company. Yeah. Right? It was that accomplishment that made the ripple effect throughout the world. Right. Right? You know, you think about uh, Thomas Edison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... He accomplished something, and the the dividends of that far as outweighs mm-hmm. financial gains. Right, right. What because he's look done, at the way it's impacting culture yeah, now. Absolutely, but 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 innovation takes creativity and individual responsibility. Of I'm not satisfied with the previous product that I made. So how can I make it better? It's that drive every day to essentially be 1% better. If I can just tweak it just a little bit here, maybe this will make it a little bit better. Or or if I do this, or if I cut it here, if I do that, that's what makes us great. But, but if, if we're in a culture, going back to what you initially said in a culture of, I just want to love what I do and feel good about what I do and be happy with what I do. And that's all that matters is my, is my happiness. If we, we, we never get where, where our calling is, right? I, <laughs> well, I mean, here's the crappy part that, you know, okay. Yeah. He flew into a spider web. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> here's the crappy part is, um, that we, we live in a culture of equity and equality, the desire for that but life could care less, right? And so because of that, when life gives us what we don't want, uh, we don't know how to handle it. Yeah. It, it, I mean, sometimes we just shut down because we don't know how to handle it. And then we just dig ourselves further in a hole, mm-hmm. right? And if we would take that approach just like Henry Ford did, like Thomas Edison did, you know, he named so many guys and it isn't necessarily you got to come up and you have to innovate some manufacturer or some new thing in life that's going to change the world. Right. No, if you take that approach in just your own personal life to say, you know what, today I'm going to make my life better than I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to win that battle. Right. But if you have that mindset and not get stuck on, oh, I lost today. I mm-hmm. hope tomorrow's not bad. Right. And then you're focusing on that negativity. You know, I, I, I've always kind of frowned upon those people that are all positive, positive, positive. You still got to be real with yourself. Gosh, what can you accomplish? It's so cliche is what it is. It is. But you got to be real with yourself. Can you accomplish it? Mm-hmm. Set that goal you can accomplish. That's when you're going to feel like you did something. But if you're going to set a goal you can't accomplish, you're going to be defeated. Right. Right. And, you know, I remember when I first became a supervisor and, uh, um, I went through some leadership courses, which is good. It was just a, a little thing that, uh, my work did. They brought this lady in and kind of did some leadership coaching. 
But one of the things I pulled out of there is setting goals. Set my one-year goal, set my five-year goal, set my 10-year goal, and write them down and mm-hmm. put it in a place you're going to see every day. Right. Right? Because what happens is, as you're going through your day, how is what you're doing apply to that goal? Is it right. getting you there or taking you away? Mm-hmm. Right? And so one of my goals, I want to say um, my five-year goal at that time, was uh, I wanted to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, for the longest time I rented, and I felt like I was just throwing my money away. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I wasn't in a financial situation to buy a house. So in five years, I wanted to buy my own house. Mm-hmm. And and good thing you didn't because of the way that you were progressing in the company. You know? Yeah. And I didn't buy my first house until what? I was 14 years. or No, it was about 13 years in our marriage. Yeah. So that was what? Eight years ago? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. So that's crazy. Right. And you had been in the workforce for 14 years before you did that. Yeah. And, you know, and some people think, man, you just threw away money for 13 years. Yes and no. I had to do that to get where I wanted to. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to be nimble. Mm -hmm. And buying a house is a commitment. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. Especially, you know, you don't know. I mean, who would have known two years ago the market would be. (laughs) Exactly. It's like. (laughs) I uh I feel that now. Um I'm kind of out of a place in my life where I'm ready to um move on, have a change, uh living in a small town all my life and you know, I, I bought my house and now it's like, dang it, I didn't capitalize on the market. And so <laughs> so because I didn't capitalize on the market, it's like, whoa, do I wait a couple more years? Even though I'm feeling like I'll, Man, I'll, I'll I'm tell you what, that was a scary time for me. Yeah. Because, you know, I bought my first house mm-hmm. and the first time I sold it was scary. Yeah. You know, I even though all the signs I'm telling me I'm in a good spot. Yeah. You don't know. You yeah. don't know what's going to come your way until it starts happening. But I'm thinking, man, am I going to walk away uh, upside down on a house? That's scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm moving to this other place that, Man, what am I going to do mm-hmm. if this goes south? Yeah. I've already made a commitment. And and I yeah. think um go back to 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 working. Um kind of at, I I'm 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 at a total different place than you were at 28, you know? Yeah. Um, being 28 years old, I the, the world is wide open to yep. me. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I don't have any baggage back home. I don't got anything I got to cover. Like, I can just pack the things that I want to take and move anywhere in the world and start a completely new life wherever I want to go. Yeah. Not necessarily out of resentment, but something to experience something new. And it's like... You know, obviously, you you kind of get in law enforcement. You five years in, well, you're kind of now a veteran. You're 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 more at the well expertise level yeah. of the job. Um, probably now this day and age too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> no, we're we're we're. I think it's something like eighty or ninety percent don't make it past five years. Um. There's there's a lot of struggles in there, like the calls that I was talking mm-hmm. about and stuff like that. That the well, politics dips so much into it too and, that you can't do anything about. Yeah, yeah. You just gotta comply. Yeah, yeah. And, and by nature, that's probably tough and it's on like you. it's <laughs> like you know even me, you know here I am. I'm talking about guys that I know of that you know are living this this willy nilly life. Um, not wanting to go out and and even get a job. I mean, shoot, I know so many guys that don't even want to get a job and they're my age. But why? And, and it just it it has to be what what you were. I mean, really, uh, the, what what I've seen is just exactly what you said. It's that it's that I want to do what I love, and I'm not quite sure what I love yet. Yep. And and me. I've always been one that I don't care if I love the job. 
like, like regardless of me not knowing, you know, my conversation with my command staff is I'm here to do my job. I'm going to do the best that I can at my job, but I don't know if I want to work in the schools. I don't know if I want to be a detective. I don't know if I want to be a supervisor on the street. And I sure don't know if 40 years from now, if I want to be in your chair, I have no clue in law enforcement where I want to go, but I know today I'm going to come in and do the best job to the best ability that I can. And I think that a lot of people my age say, I don't know what I love yet. So I can't walk into work and have that mentality to do my best, put my best foot forward. And I think that that's a a defining difference between somebody like us that looks at the adversity and doesn't say, well, I'm a victim to it. And this is all I will ever experience. Instead, it's like, I know I don't want that. I don't want my kids to go through that. Yeah, you, I mean, it cracks me up, but you you think about a lot of things in life. People can tell you what they don't want, but they can tell you what they want. They can't tell you what they want. I mean, I'll give you a prime example. How many times, you know, as a family, hey, where do we want to eat tonight? I don't know. (laughs) You want to go here? No. You want to go here? No. Well, what do you want? I don't know. Yeah. You want we, pizza? That's no. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah, know yeah. what we don't want, but we have no clue what we want. Yeah. No clue. And so in that you get indecision and no commitment. Mm-hmm. Right? Because then when I do find out what I want, I want to just be able to go do it. Yeah. As I've said on the previous two episodes with my brother Rusty Pickens in southern Indiana, I know it ended abruptly. Unfortunately, it ended abruptly. We just I didn't want to give you guys four hours of a podcast when you could be listening to Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, or whoever your favorite podcaster is. So I decided to break it up into these four segments so there isn't a good way to cut it off. With that being said, y'all, if you enjoyed that conversation, it will be continued next Wednesday at 6 a.m. So tune back in. Please leave a Spotify rating, Apple Podcast review and ratings follow us on instagram our facebook page subscribe on youtube and i hope you guys enjoyed that tune back in next week and if this was the first episode that you listened to go back and listen to the first episode with rusty you guys have a great rest of your week go forth and conquer and god bless